BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Dr. Reader, welcome to RealPod. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Victoria. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited because I feel like there's so many things that you can find, learn, read, hear when it comes to skin and skincare. So to finally like ask the questions that are on everyone's mind to you, the expert, I think it's just going to be so beneficial for everyone. I know I'm curious before we really dive in, like what led you to this work? Uh, that's a long story, but I'll try to keep it brief. So when I went to medical school, I didn't know what I was going to specialize in, but there was several different things that I was interested in. And my original training is actually in psychiatry. And I decided to go into psychiatry residency. What you do is during medical school, you do different rotations around the hospital. And I did a rotation in dermatology as well. And I really liked it a lot. You get to work with your hands. You get to see adults and kids and do medicine and surgery and cosmetic procedures and lots of skincare. But when I was going through the dermatology clinics, I was dealing with a lot of people with skin issues, but almost all of them also had some sort of mental health issues as well. And so while people were getting amazing skincare and amazing treatment for their dermatologic conditions, whether that's eczema or psoriasis or skin cancer or acne, there was often a lot that was going misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed or unattended to in the, in the realm of the comorbid psychological dysfunctioning. So tons of like anxiety, depression, body image issues. And I think that acne is really like the quintessential exa- uh, example of that, where it's, a, it's like the triple threat, it's a medical condition, a psychological condition, and an aesthetic condition. And I think the dermatologist is like uniquely positioned to be able to deal with that. But I think in even further than, you know, when I have my, my psychiatry training as well, it gives me a different insight into that patient population. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And I, I don't think I'm even like remotely familiar with how correlated mental health is with acne. Talking about the having acne and then the mental health effects of having skin that societally hasn't been 
as praised and then, you know, the confidence issues that come there as opposed to like mental health issues leads to acne. It's more if you're dealing with acne, you're bringing attention to how that does affect people's mental health more often than not. Yeah, but I think it's both. I mean, I can't tell you that like having depression or having anxiety is going to make you have more acne. That's just not, that's never been proven. Mm -hmm. But I can say that there's, there are stress responses, skin conditions and acne being one of them that people like find that when their body gets worn down through psychological stress or physical or medical stress, like if someone ends up sick in the hospital or they get into a car accident or they have a final they have to take or they haven't had a good night's sleep, that's a definitely a time when acne can flare. But like I said before, it's sort of like cyclical in that the relationship happens the other way as well. When people have acne, it definitely causes secondary psychological right. changes. I guess like when I think like growing up, I actually felt like I had pretty clear skin throughout a lot of my life, mm-hmm. but my brother didn't. He ended up going on like Accutane. So would you mm-hmm. say that's like different in differences in stress or mental health between the two of us? Or could you be born with like differently susceptible skin? Forgive me for my elementary terms. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Like why do two people raised in the same house with similar genetic profile? Why does one person get bad acne and why is the other person not? And this is a conversation I had with someone today, like literally the same conversation today when someone was debating on whether to go on Accutane or isotretinoin and saying, you know, my, my sister just tells me to drink a lot of water and that's the way she's been able to maintain her skin using no skincare. So it's really a multifactorial thing. There's obviously a genetic component for a lot of people with acne, but there's many other things that contribute to the reasons why people get acne or why people get acne that, that flares up at inopportune times in their lives. I think stress is one of those things and we have some data to support that now, even though for a long time, like dermatologists always thought that stress was one of the things to, to exacerbate acne. I can tell you when I was a teenager or a college student and there was finals to take and my acne would flare up, right? And that like everybody sort of anecdotally knows that, but it's one thing to say it anecdotally and another thing to be able to sort of prove it in the medical literature, which is a more difficult thing. But to make the long story short, yes, stress can be an exacerbating factor for acne and then acne can be something that causes stress. So it's something that we call this like vicious cycle where it's sort of just feeding on itself and you can get caught in this loop. I definitely feel like whenever I'm really overwhelmed or stressed, that's when I'm getting breakouts and I get mine like primarily around my lips, like chin, lower half of the face. I don't even know like what causes acne. Is it oil buildup on the skin? Is it not washing your face? Yeah. So the way we understand acne, there's really four things that need to happen for acne to occur in your skin. And if you disrupt any one of them, and for some people, you need to disrupt multiple different pathways to get acne under control. So you need overgrowth of acne bacteria. It's called cutibacterium acnes, if you want the uh, technical name. You need increased oil production. Okay, so the acne needs to be able to feed on something. Basically, there's a duct on your skin where the hair comes out and the hair follicle skin gets thickened around there. And then there's an inflammatory response. And all four of those things need to happen for acne to happen. So there's four different ways to sort of potentially alleviate those symptoms and break up that chain of events that happens that make acne happen. Obviously much deeper than like me feeling like I didn't wash my face one night, but I think but that- that's the thing, right? Yeah. Right? If you're not washing your face, you're not like getting rid of the oil and then that can accumulate. And same thing with like taking off if you don't take off your makeup, 
Yeah. Right. So that can occlude things as well. And you don't like, you just can breathe. It can get oil built up and then that can give acne the food that it wants to survive. What about the different types of skin? Like at a starting point, I feel like I err on a drier side. Like I'm always trying to get more moisture and like more oil on my face. I even used an, an oil-based makeup remover, but I have other people who they're so oily that like adding any sort of oil products to their face, like how many different types of baseline skin are you seeing and how does that affect susceptibility to breakouts? It's a good question. I may give you an answer that you don't, you may not want. I don't believe in skin types. I believe that your skin type is going to change depending on lots of different factors, but mostly like environmental factors. Like if you live in, in somewhere in Northern Canada, where it's really cold and dry, and then you move to Miami, where it's going to be hot and humid, your skin type is going to change like overnight when you get out of the plane, because you're going to have like build up of sweat and build up of oil that you wouldn't have when you were in that cold and dry climate. So I think any skin type can be susceptible to acne, but we, if I had to make a sweeping generalization, people with the oily skin definitely have more of a problem with it because it's just, again, the basic way I put things, it's like sort of providing more food for the acne to, to live off of. As you kind of map that out, it makes a lot of sense that like, I mean, if I was really good with like moisturizing and all, all of that, my skin type would over time probably change the same way. I think with like hair, you know, when you're shampooing and showering every single day, your hair is going to now be producing more oil. But then if you stop, it'll produce less oil. I feel like that's kind of maybe a comforting thing for people to hear because then they feel a little bit more empowered to, you know, develop some sort of skincare routine to get their skin in a, a way that they want, as opposed to feeling like, oh, well, I just got marked as oily skin person. So there's like no hope for me, you know? Yeah, there's hope for everybody. And I just would tell you that the treatment plan and the hope would, would differ depending, even for an individual person, depending on like what the environmental stressors are in their life at any given time. I'm so glad you brought that up, Dr. Reader, because I think a big issue we see now is this like one shoe fits all sort of thing on social media where if a certain celebrity or influencer posts, you know, what they're doing in their life or whatever it is, people think, okay, well, if I do exactly what they do, you know, I'm going to look like them or it's going to work for me. Like how important is it for people to really recognize that like they have to curate their own nighttime skincare routine or thing that's going to work for them as opposed to just like buying or doing what the next coolest kid on the block is? Yeah. So it's a really important question. It's a larger question about social media in general. When you're thinking about skincare regimens, there's also been like a devaluation of what it means to be like an expert in skincare. And there's people who are sort of like dabbling in skincare, making recommendations that tend to be overly broad. And like you said, like sort of one size fits all, or a celebrity will say, this is like the thing that to, to do. And if the celebrity is also a dermatologist, then usually you can, you can listen to that, but often things are a little bit more complex than that. And it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. The, the treatment of acne can be algorithmic, and there can be certain products that can be very helpful for everyone. But there are certain products that can be drying. And if you have oily skin, that can be great for you. If you have dry skin to begin with, then that may not be the best thing. So there is some subtlety in figuring out even the most basic of treatment regimens for skincare or the treatment of acne. And unfortunately, like 
consumers deem them experts based on like if their skin is clear. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what they're using to cre- to make it credible. But the problem is there's such an issue there. And I posted about this the other day on Instagram. When people ask me, I have relatively clear skin. I've developed a routine and I love some of the CeraVe products are amazing. I use them every night. It, but people like I always want to preface like, yes, I have a skincare routine and I use products. However, I also naturally am starting with like pretty agreeable skin. And there's other, I think, people of influence who don't give those disclaimers. And I think that can cause a huge issue as well. Yeah. And I think it can also lead to false hope and false expectations. Everyone's also like looking for like the next greatest ingredient. And if something were such a blockbuster ingredient, it wouldn't be launched on Instagram by a skin influencer. It would be medical news that would be on the major news networks or in a medical journal, right? Right. So we have to take these things with a grain of salt. And I think that there are different things on the market that maybe not in like, you don't require a prescription for some of which are really great that we recommend every day in practice. And many of those are, pro- are products that are made by CeraVe, but there's also lots of other stuff that are, can be adjunctive. But there's, again, like I said, there's like a lot of nuance that goes on to this and it's a lot more complex than I think people let it on to be on social media. And so I think you're super right on about that. Giving people like the disclaimer, like, I am genetically predisposed to have like better skin. And like, I'm just sort of lucky that I didn't have to deal with this. That would be more helpful information to have, right? Definitely. And I think in line with this, when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking of adults and I feel like the societal belief was you're going to have really bad acne and breakouts when you hit puberty and you're like going from 12 to 13, 14, 15. But there's still so many people in their 20s, 30s who are continuing to get breakouts. What causes that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's a larger question for contemporary society because we are having an epidemic of adult acne and especially adult female acne. And right before we started recording, I was saying like, this is something that comes up all the time. Every single day in my practice, I see an adult patient and it's usually a woman, but sometimes men too. We're like 40 years old, 50 years old, I had clear skin and now I'm breaking out. Like what is going on here? And the reasons for acne breakouts are really, I mean, we talked about like four steps that cause acne, but like there's many different other things that can predispose people, genetics, overgrowth of the acne bacteria, super oily skin, hormonal dysregulation, and hormones can fluctuate a lot, especially in women's bodies, depending on time of the month, the the stage in their, their lifespan. Having kids, being pregnant, Having probably. Kids, yeah. And some people's like their skin looks amazing. They have like this pregnancy glow. And then some people's skin absolutely goes like haywire. And this is like a conversation we have with people all the time who are managed really well in practice. And they're like, I'm going to try to have kids and I have to go off my acne medications and I'm very worried about what's going to happen. And we can say with confidence that usually people get really great hair in pregnancy because like surges of estrogen and progesterone usually make the hair grow really nicely, even though it may end up falling out afterwards but with this with the skin it's like very difficult to predict what will happen so all those things can can affect it and diet certainly can affect acne the skincare that people are using can affect acne as well and that's one thing that i don't think people understand really well when you're dealing with products like CeraVe who they have budget to do research and development in a meaningful way they can do clinical testing they can make sure their products are safe that are not causing harm to the skin and they can test enough 
people who are willing to volunteer to make sure that their cosmetics are adapted, then you then you can take more confidence in using their products. It seems like there's so many companies now that are launching little boutique skincare lines, which I applaud, but I, I wonder in terms of like the safety profile and the efficacy profile about what they're what they're doing. So that's something that I have never thought of or heard. So you're saying that like I would just assume that as a general consumer to have skincare that you sell, it has to all go through the same amount of like testing. But you're saying that essentially there's like a bare minimum testing, but then there's companies that are like CeraVe, they're able to go above and beyond and like really ensure it's super clinically backed and there's lots of research. Yeah, but you can't make, so this is a a big question about what it means to be like a medicine and what it means to be a cosmetic and what sort of claims you can make, right? There's certain claims you can't make for cosmetics or beauty products about like, this is, you can't say this is proven to decrease acne or this is proven to decrease wrinkles but you can say this is proven this is shown to decrease the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and you can give qualitative measures saying like you know 10 out of 10 consumers said that their skin looks better after using this but you can't say like any major claim about acne unless you're having a drug or something that's made over the counter that is a drug like product like something like benzoyl peroxide which is like the probably the number one or the number two ingredient kill acne bacteria. So there's like a lot of what happens in the world of skincare is is marketing and like playing with people's psychology and understanding who their consumers are and understanding that the skin is our most forward facing organ and it's not really something that we can hide. So anytime we have a social event or an occupational event. People see our skin and they are making judgments, split second judgments, whether they know it or not, about how they're going to interact with us, what they think about us based on our appearance. And we know that this happens from inflammatory conditions in the skin. We know this happens in terms of when people are getting cosmetic procedures done. It changes the way that the world interacts with them. So yeah, that's 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 sort of how it goes down. But if something that's going to be like FDA approved, it's very different. It has to go through like years of testing and like that's why the beauty industry and the skincare industry is able to move at a speed that science, the scientific or medical industry can't keep up with. They can keep innovating and they don't have to have the same level of rigor, but they're able, they're not able to make the same sort of claims. And when you say that, I feel like I can now remember like commercials are coming back to me, can reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. Like now I'm remembering the, this appearance word, you know, and it's like, okay, well, yeah. that's kind of not really solving the problem. But that makes me think of like anti-aging products. How mm-hmm. early should people be using those? Should they, do they actually work? Like we're all going to age. That's something I think about personally. I'm like a big proponent of being yourself and being authentic. But as women, especially get older, there's so much around stay young, stay young, stay young. Yeah. And that's a really good question too. That's something that my research group was looking at this question of authenticity and what it means in terms of people who are doing cosmetic procedures. I can't reveal the the results of the study because it hasn't been completed yet. But in general, I can say it seems like people feel like more authentic versions of themselves when they feel like their skin looks better. And that can be through like the medical treatment of skin, but a lot of times that's through aesthetic treatments, things like neurotoxins like botulinum toxin or soft tissue fillers or laser procedures. And before I went into dermatology, I think 
I didn't really think about this stuff. And I think to the average consumer who's not informed about aesthetic procedures, that can often seem like a very superficial endeavor. But these are things that actually help people's quality of life in a very meaningful way. And they can help them to feel like the most authentic, true versions of themselves. And, and you know, some people say, you know, the authentic me is like, this is me. And like, I don't need makeup. I don't need wrinkle releasers. I don't need skincare. But a lot of people say like, this is me. And like, when I look in the mirror, I don't want to see something that is not consistent with how I feel internally. And that's where like cosmetic procedures and anti-aging skincare can come into play for people. I didn't use much of an anti-aging regimen until I was, I'm 45 now, until I was like in my thirties, cause I was, my parents looked pretty young for their age. So I was like a sort of genetically blessed in that respect, but my skin does look better when I'm doing the appropriate things in terms of skincare. And then the question of cosmetics is probably off topic now, but it's something that I also do for myself and it makes me feel better when I look in the mirror. Well, what you're saying about like being able to show up, like quote authentically and not having lunch with your skin. I get it from the standpoint of like, even when I have a full face of makeup on, that doesn't feel like the authentic me. I'm not saying it's a bad fake version of me, but like when you have nothing on your skin and you're staring at someone, there's something vulnerable about that. Like you have nothing on. Maybe guys experience it differently because they're not wearing as much makeup sometimes depends. Right. But so I definitely relate to that and like wanting to get your skin to a place where you feel like with nothing on it, like you would be confident and comfortable talking to people and, and showing up. Anyways, I have like a handful of ran, not kind of random, not random questions that I just think everyone is curious about. I mean, starting with just if I have a pimple or a whitehead, should I pop it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. It comes up all the time. And human nature is that we want to pop pimples, right? There's one of my colleagues has a TV show just about popping pimples. Like it's that popular. Oh my gosh, right? you guys are friends. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, right? So in general, I say don't pop your pimples because what happens is that often like the inflammatory fluid that's at the base of the acne lesion gets pushed down and it can actually become worse. Of course, if like something's like completely at the surface and it's like ready to go, you, people are going to do what they're going to do. And I, I get it. I get it. But there are, there are better ways to do it. And if you are lucky enough to be in a place that's not so far removed from a dermatologist's office, like in, in New York City, it's insane. You, any corner you go to, there's like a Starbucks, there's a Chase Bank, and there's a dermatologist's office. You can always like get an appointment with a dermatologist here. But if you live in like rural Nebraska, it may be harder to see a dermatologist. But I have like an open door policy for my patients. If there is like, you know, an acne emergency where there's like a vent coming up or there's like a pimple that's like really painful, come in and we deal with that. We either give it like a cortisone injection or we take it out in a sterile way. But we've seen these things go badly. So yeah, by the book, I say no, but I, I get it. People are going to do what they're going to do. I've tried to be better about not going after like the real underground ones that like hurt, but you know that they're coming and they're going to be with you for like a week. I used yeah. to really get after those. And then I would just have like a scar for a long time. So I've been better at just not touching. Well, so yeah, people get hyperpigmentation and people get like, sometimes people get scars that are pretty nasty and that they are these boxcar scars, we call them. There's like three different quintessential acne scars. And if you're looking at the surface of the skin, there's, there's some that are called ice pick scars that are look like someone just like jabbed you with an ice pick, which can be treated like pretty easily. There's ones that are kind of like rolling scars are kind of like the, like the surface of the seat. And then there's boxcar ones that are sort of 
more rectangular. And those are very difficult to treat. And often I see those happen after people manipulate neoform lesions. So that's why, that's the thing that I worry about most of all is like, first of all, making the things worse by pushing the inflammation deeper and then the, the scarring potential. Right. The long-term effect of, of messing yeah, with it. Yeah. Next, does everyone need a super extravagant skincare routine? Like how many products, like, could you just be using a cleanser and a moisturizer? Are there like one or two products from Sarah V that you think, you know, are just great that work with everyone? Because I think people are super intimidated to come up with like a 10 step routine. Yeah. I mean, so if you like skincare and you like that, like self-care experience and making like a spa-like experience for yourself at home, or just having like your, your life is incredibly busy as like, you know, if you're a homemaker or if you're working or you're doing both and you just need that like couple minutes for yourself and you want to do skincare, I'm, I'm all for it. Do as many steps as you want. But I think that there's like diminishing returns when you're looking at steps three and four, like what are those products actually doing, right? The ones that are like sitting on top of the skin, you can understand how they're going to have an effect and they'll be able to see through. But if it's product upon product upon product, what are we really doing? And a lot of people don't have the time for it. So I'm a sort of a skincare minimalist. There's, there's a lot of products I like, and there's products that I use from survey line, like on a daily basis. And that we recommend in my practice on a daily basis. I always recommend a hydrating cleanser for most skin types, right? And the hydrating cleanser, the gentle cleanser doesn't foam. It's very good for skin that's normal. It's very good for skin that's oily, okay? There's also an acne control cleanser that foams a little bit. So it removes some grease and that has, there's two different ones. There's one that has salicylic acid, which is really good for sort of exfoliating and getting rid of some of the less inflammatory acne bumps. And there's a benzoyl peroxide cleanser made by CeraVe as well that I recommend on a daily basis to people who have acne. Benzoyl peroxide is probably the number one ingredient topically to kill acne bacteria. It's, but the, the brand matters in terms of looking about benzoyl peroxide because there are many different strengths. There's two, I've seen a down to two and a half percent in terms of strength and all the way up to 10%. 10% can be pretty irritating and benzoyl peroxide as a product can provide the skin it can bleach your towels as well as you have to be careful about that. And then when you get down to two and a half percent, there's data that like the leave on two and a half percent can be as effective as higher strengths. But if you're using like a rinse, you want to use something in the four to five percent of the strength. Um, so that's why the CeraVe cleanser I really like. It's a four percent benzoyl peroxide. And that's typically the one that I recommend people to get because it's like easy to find. It's very like reasonably priced yeah. for people who have front skin. It's, it's, it's great. And I wanted to also ask you as well, just to kind of share what makes the CeraVe products different. I love the AM facial moisturizing lotion. I just love that there's like SPF in that. I think one of the biggest skincare things I've learned as of late is like just to always have on sunscreen, even if I'm not going outside, even if it's not super direct light, just because of like how important it is to have the SPF. And then also random, like my husband, Max, has been trying to develop a skincare routine and I've got him going on the CeraVe products because I feel like they're just not that intimidating, you know, like they cover all the bases and they're not intimidating, not too fancy schmancy that you feel, but you also know they're getting the job done, you know? Yeah. Guys like to get the job done. I mean, there's like a whole range of the male consumer now that's very different than it was when I was like a little kid. And when I was a little kid, it was mostly like. Guys, it would be a feat to get guys just to wash their face, <laughs> right? But 
but now guys are willing to do a little bit more. But they're like, um, hey, what are you doing? And why am I not doing it too? Yeah, no, it's interesting because like that used to not be a topic at all. But I mean, the thing, the thing that's nice about CeraVe is they do have like one of the building blocks that they use is they're basically trying to repair the epidermal barrier. So they're using that to, that's one of the key sort of tenets of the CeraVe philosophy. The word ceramide is in the name of CeraVe. And they're basically helping to rebuild those external building blocks to the outer layers of the skin, give the skin its suppleness, give the skin its strength, rebuild the external barrier of the skin. And that's one of the reasons that makes CeraVe a nice product. There's tons of clinical testing behind it. When it was developed, it was developed originally with dermatologists and they're always like working with dermatologists to refine their skincare lines. They're to think about other topics in skincare and in health in general, like mental health and skincare. They're trying to reach the general public in a way that's going to be more holistic. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that even a little deeper. I was super intrigued in the beginning when we kind of touched it. I mean, obviously there's a correlation between depression, anxiety, stress, mental health issues, and then with with skin and acne as well. Are there things we can be doing? Like, are the preventative things I'm doing to to maintain happiness in my life, like going to therapy and journaling and meditation and mindfulness, are those also helping with my skin or are there other specific things that like we need to be working on in regards to our mental health that then have the positive effect on skin? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're like, it's very impressive. They're doing all those things because that's like, those are like the great, it's not even starter steps. Yeah. Not every single day. I'm not perfect. I go to therapy like every other week. I have been trying to meditate. I journal sometimes like, you know, I was just listening. Yeah. I'm always completely upfront with people about my personal experience. Like I'm a doctor, but like, and I treat mental health, but like there's been times in my life when I've been in my own therapy and sometimes it's been therapy to be able to understand how to perform therapy better for my patients. But it's also been therapy to like understand myself better. A lot of the psychological techniques that are really easy to do on our own can be very helpful for modifying stress as well. And I tell people to do these things all the time. And there's like free applications and there's YouTube guided trainings that people can do for like deep abdominal breathing. It sounds like it's not that much, but it's the way to slow down your breathing. And it's a mindfulness experience where you just kind of focus on the moment. And because you have to focus on your breathing, sort of the extraneous stresses of the day sort of fade into the backside. There's data to show that like these psychological techniques where we're having a mindfulness-like experience is equivalent to like taking a pill like a Xanax. So it gives you that instant anxiety relief without having to be on a medication. And it's a technique that can be easily taught. So yeah, the things that you're doing are extremely helpful. And is it that if we're not doing those things or we're not taking care of our mental health, what's happening in our body that like the stress is then manifesting itself like in a pimple on my chin and maybe the dumbest down way you can explain it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that it's hard to say for sure. Like if we're not, if we're not sort of talking it out or if we're not like working, doing like breath work to release the stress, I can't say for sure that like it's going to manifest as acne on the skin, but right. All the data that we have about acne and mental health shows that there's consistently correlations between having acne and having lower quality of life, having increased depression, having increased anxiety, and for some things, having there's been certain studies have shown 
people with acne also have higher rates of body dysmorphic disorder. So when they look in the mirror, they see something that's very unattractive, whereas another person may see them and see somebody that's exceptionally attractive, or they may see a slight defect that's almost imperceptible to them. Mm-hmm. But in terms of saying like, yeah, I didn't do my breath work today. So like the acne pops up. It's hard to say that for sure. But we know that like the stress response is very complicated and it involves like the psychological and neurological system and endocrine system. And there's like a complex interplay of organ systems that interact when when we're, we're stressed out. And that can be something that's exacerbated by, like I said before, like uh, having to study for a final exam or just getting like a poor night's sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's when we see that like stress responsive diseases get worse, eczema, acne, psoriasis, people who get like cold sores, they always happen in times people are stressed out as well. So when you said you were making those rounds and kind of noticing the connection between the mental health work that you were kind of setting out to do and doing, and then with dermatology, what are some high level takeaways that my audience primarily being really mental health? informed and passionate can think about as it relates to acne. The burden of mental health dysfunction and acne is very high. And I think that acne happens, like you said before, it happens in teenagers and that's sort of expected and people can wrap their minds around that a lot, a lot better, but also happens other times in life where it's, it's unfortunate as well. And like very unexpected. And I think people have a lot of trouble dealing with that. And I think it's important for people to know that they're not alone in having that experience and they're not alone in like feeling low self-confidence, having worsening of mood, worsening of anxiety, social anxiety, even. And I know that like acne affects me when I'm in a social function, even if it's like objectively mild, because what's objectively mild to me as a dermatologist, when I'm looking at a patient, is not necessarily a mild experience for them. So what I always do is like, I, my practice is a lot of the people in my practice are like the worried well, and they're people with like public facing for profiles and they have to do a lot of client facing time. And, you know, if you're 40 years old and you have a couple of pimples on your face, maybe that's three, maybe that's not objectively severe to the general population, but it can be pretty profoundly incapacitating for someone who needs to feel like their skin is because they're a TV mm-hmm. or they're a model or you obviously are giving like really key advice every day to your patients. And those are definitely some really lucky patients that they get to be under your care and have their skin under your magnifying glass. What are the things you're constantly repeating or most important things that you could share to people listening who are struggling with acne? Yeah. So good question. Acne is super common. It's the most common skin disease. 50 million Americans have acne and almost everyone will have acne at some point in their lives. So it's important to know that you're not alone. It's important to know that there are great treatments available. There are good treatments that are available over the counter to begin with, benzoyl peroxide, retinols, adapalene, which is a prescription strength over-the-counter medicine is available over-the-counter. Sometimes people can clear mild acne without the help of a dermatologist. But if acne gets moderate to severe because of like the potential for psychological adverse effects on psychological well-being and for scarring, I do recommend seeing a board-certified dermatologist because I, I wouldn't be afraid of medications for acne because we have amazing medications and I can almost always get people's skin clear. And so I think it's important for people to understand that there's there are things you can do at home and there's great products, but you don't have to hack it the entire way, especially if things get 
beyond your control. Like you would never do that to, if you had something going on with your heart or your kidneys, you would get the assistance of a doctor. It's just like the skin seems like it's so accessible to all of us that we all can treat it on our own. But I think it's unreasonable and I think it's somewhat unfair to yourself to feel like you have to do it on your own. Yeah, that's so, so true. It's weird when you think about the skin as an organ because you're like, it's just there. It's this thing like outside my body. You know, we don't think yeah, of it as precious. Yeah. yeah. So many things can happen there. I would never try to hack it myself, but I understand a lot of people do. I think that there are, there are better ways to, to, to handle it. Well, Dr. Reader, thank you so much. It has been so great chatting with you. And I feel like I have learned a lot. And now I've already been sort of working on like a skincare routine and, and whatnot. But just to kind of have some of the the why behind like doing these things as opposed to following the trends is so important. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. So nice to be with you, Victoria. Thank you for, for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.